Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to the, another episode of the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Today we're joined by a great guest, somebody who has had success at nearly every stop in his basketball career, both playing and coaching. He's currently about to enter his first season at the head coach at Grand Canyon University after spending one year on the broadcast side alongside somebody like myself, but his true passion lies in coaching um, none other than Coach Bryce Drew. Bryce, how's life in Phoenix as you're making that transition? I feel like I'm on vacation every day in Phoenix. You know, it's, uh, it's beautiful to get to wake up, and I'm a Midwest guy, you know, originally. So to wake up and see palm trees every morning out the window, um, we haven't had a cloudy day since I've been here. So, um, you know, things have been, been good. You know, as, as tough as things are in our world right now, it's been as good as it can from, from other areas. Yeah, you're taking over a program at a very unique time uh, because of uh, the coronavirus and the not knowing of what's going to happen with, with all college sports next season. Obviously, football has got to be the first one to happen, followed by basketball. But you've got guys that are starting to trickle onto campus and you're starting to be able to, to kind of put your imprint of what you view your program needs to look like. How do you build a program with you as a coach coming in? You know, it, it's definitely challenging during these times, but it's also, um, it, it, it's been really good from a perspective that I can kind of sit back a little bit more and search a little bit more and, you know, really have a, a better understanding of the school and the people that I'm dealing with and our players. Um, you know, for the first, you know, month and a half, two months, I was still in Nashville you know, having the job because you couldn't travel, things were shut down. And so I really got to just be on the phone all day and probably do a lot more research and background uh, checks and information than you could normally do if your feet were on the ground and you were working out guys every day and flying to recruit. And so I really got a head start, I think, in kind of a, a blueprint and a basis um, on what I'm dealing with with the program and things that I want to change or want to, I want to continue. Um, but the very difficult part, Dan, has been the player relationship. Um, as you know, there, there, there's no other substitute for being on a court with a player, being able to communicate with them, you know, work with them on the court and build that relationship. So that's something that, that, that's been hard in the transition is just not having that face-to-face -face personal contact on the daily basis you normally have. You talk about the player relationship and building that on the court. You're somebody who played six years in the NBA, uh, another year in Europe. Um, you were a tremendous college player. But you and I both know we're starting to get up in there in age. We still feel young. <laughs> we're, we're past the 40-year mark. And a lot of these guys that you're probably recruiting, guys that I call games for uh, on the broadcasting mm -hmm. side in college, don't necessarily remember uh, some of our strengths as a player. Um, but how do you share your knowledge? How do you share some of your past on some of these players to get them to know that, hey, you know what? Coach knows what he's talking about. He did it at the highest level. Yeah, you know, the, the bad thing is technology's gotten so much better. So everything's in like 4K now or HD. 
And if you pull up any highlights, you know, it's going to be a little blurry. And so, yeah, that, that immediately kind of destroys the, uh, the effect of it because it's so old. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of transparency and, you know, you, you know, as a former player, you got to experience a lot of things on the court that, that, that just through a coaching eyes, you might not have that same feeling unless you have a lot of experience in coaching. And so I just try to, to, to be real with the players. And, and, you know, I've been in that situation where, you know, I, I was making every shot that night and it felt great. And, and how do you approach that next practice there, that next game? Or, you know, that game where it's five minutes left and you're, you know, two for 13 and you can't make a shot. Um, you know, I've been in that situation myself. So hopefully I can, you know, talk confidence into that player or, you know, get him to focus on other areas. And so that's where I think the playing helps. But, you know, as far as recruiting, as far as them, you know, caring about, you know, you or me being good, I think that, um, you know, it's obviously more about them and getting them uh, to their goals and what they want to do. As a coach, when you're going out evaluating, and obviously all you're evaluating right now has to be on film, mm-hmm. every coach gravitates to something that they like. You know, me as a player, if I were in the coaching world, I would probably gravitate towards shooters. Now, I know you can't talk about specific players due to NCAA restrictions, but when you go out and recruit, what catches your eye? You know, I, I think um, uh, it's really ironic uh, because, you know, I was a shooter, more of an offensive player. And, you know, for me, it really goes more the other side. I, I look a lot on the defensive end, you know, guys who can, who can defend and, um, and guys that really play hard. Um, I, I like guys that have some personality on the court, um, guys that are, that are really passionate and focused. But I would say my, my initial thought goes to, you know, are they going to be able to defend, you know, at the college level how we want to defend? I want to take a, a step way back in time. You were a winner of one of the most prestigious awards in all of high school basketball. Uh, and a lot of it is because Indiana is the holy grail of basketball for high school. Uh, I've had a chance to go back with my work with, with Scorebook Live and, and meet a number of high school basketball coaches and, and watch some summer league games and see the passion that they have. I actually saw the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star game a couple years back. Oh, wow. It was a tremendous yeah. experience, 12,000 people uh, yeah. in a, watching a high school All-Star game. You were the 1994 Mr. Indiana. When I say that, what kind of memories come back for you? You know, pr- pretty much, you know, from you being out of state, um, you know, it's amazing you capture that just in your short time there. But, you know, growing up, you know, it's such a basketball state. Uh, seven of the ten biggest high school gyms are in Indiana. I mean, a lot of the high school gyms look like colleges if you go other, you know, other states. And there's just a, a passion growing up, you know, once winter comes and basketball season comes with jamborees, it's just the whole tone of the state changes. And, um, you know, I, I think growing up, one of my vivid memories is just driving around and seeing how many basketball goals were, you know, at parks or in driveways. You know, it just seems like there are basketball goals everywhere. And I didn't really appreciate it till I left the state. And as I did, you know, I'd look around, I, you just wouldn't see the same passion. And um, it is hard, you know, because, uh, you know, I travel to some states to recruit and there's like a really good player. And my mind will immediately go back to Indiana. If this player was in Indiana, you know, he'd be playing in front of, you know, 6,000 fans tonight for his high school game. Instead, you know, I'm here and there's 150, and I feel bad for the kid in a way, you know, that he doesn't get to experience, you know, the high school basketball that Indiana has. That's, that's tremendous. Yeah, I, I was at a high school clinic 
um, speaking for Scorebook Live in Indiana about two years ago, and the gym sat 9,500 people. It was amazing. There was about 150, 200 coaches there. Um, and I walked in and I couldn't believe how big the high school gym was. And they said to this day, they almost fill it for, for most games. I was blown away. Yeah, no, it's pretty special. Our high school sat about 5,500 um, and it was sold out most of our home games. Um, so again, when you bring up high school basketball in like the all-star game, you know, what was incredible. We had, we were in the state championship. We had 16,000 in our state championship game. Um, just an unbelievable experience. If my basketball career would have, wouldn't have gone to college, like my high school could have carried it, you know, for my life. It was phenomenal. So as an Indiana uh, product, how many times have you watched Hoosiers? <laughs> oh, man, I, I, I have not seen it lately. You know, I got a six-year-old boy, and, and I got to somehow get him on it. But, man, movies have changed so much through the years. They're so much faster moving and just the graphics. Everything's way better. Sometimes the like like my little six year old I don't know if he could stay in tune to Hoosiers right now until he gets a little older he might lose it after the basketball scenes so um but yeah when it first came out you know I, I again saw it quite a bit and and um yeah it, it's a classic and I think as I get older I'll probably appreciate it more just because I got to grow up and you know kind of can relate to some of the things that they went through in, uh, in that movie. So as the Mr. Indiana, I'm sure you had a lot of opportunities to go to different schools uh, across the Midwest, maybe even across the country. You decided to stay home and play for your dad, Homer, at Valparaiso. Was that an easy decision for you? Yeah, it wasn't. You know, we, we grew up right by uh, Notre Dame. My dad was coaching at uh, Bethel College, which was a, a Christian school in uh, South Bend. And so it was about 10 minutes from Notre Dame's campus. So, you know, I, I grew up going to my dad's game, but then, you know, it was always a treat to be able to go see, you know, Notre Dame play. And, um, and so when I narrowed down my list, you know, it was, uh, it was a school, uh, LaSalle, which had a coach, uh, Speedy Morris in Philadelphia. And uh, I had a heart issue in high school. And so I was supposed to go to all these camps in July. And, and once I told the, the, the coach I wasn't going, like nearly everybody stopped recruiting me my junior year. And LaSalle stayed with me the whole time. And so they were loyal to me. So, you know, I liked them. I was loyal to them. And, uh, and then was Notre Dame and then, then my dad's school. Those are my final three. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, my brother was the assistant coach, and he kind of put the squeeze on me. Um, <laughs> he was very biased in his opinion. Um, my parents were very more, um, you know, do what's best for you. But I, I think I wanted to go somewhere where I was able to have the ball in my hands. And I had a lot of schools like Syracuse, uh, Louisville, um, uh, you know, Purdue, um, a lot of schools that, that, that were recruiting me, but I didn't know if I would be able to have the ball in my hands and get to play point guard. And I knew if I wanted to play in the NBA, I had to be able to come off ball screens and have the ball in my hands. And so that was one of my main reasons to go to Valpo was I knew I was going to be able to have the ball in my hands and be able to, to kind of learn on the job and make mistakes and play through them. You get this question asked probably every March when March Madness begins because you hit one of the most iconic shots in NCAA tournament history. Your senior year, 1998 against Ole Miss. The inbounds pass to be thrown by Jamie Sykes. Carter pressuring. It's to Jenkins. The Drew for the win. Gone. Oh! He did it. Bryce Drew did it. Falpo has won the game. A miracle!
what was the name of that inbounds play and, and how much did you guys practice it? Because it was a three-quarter court pass with to a, somebody flashing to the top of the key with you flying down the sideline. Um, can you walk us back through that, that play? So we practiced it, you know, nearly, I would say, preseason, you know, every couple of weeks. And then once season started, we got into conference play. We usually practiced it about once a week. And um, we ran it actually late December um, in a conference game, and, and it didn't work. We had our seven-foot center be the flasher that came up, and, and he had a difficult time getting to the ball and catching it. And so we switched it, and we put our, our best athlete in that position that could out-jump others and, and uh, be able to, to get the ball. And so we practiced it with a different formation. And, you know, it was pretty cool. Three seniors were involved in the play. So, you know, we had practiced it, you know, quite a while and for years. And uh, it never worked that good, even in practice, you know, just to perfection with, with the, the two passes were extremely difficult. You know, the inbounder was only 5'10". He threw it over a 6'6 player. And then the catch and pass in the air by, it was Bill Jenkins, you know, was, was fabulous. So, Dan, I actually had the easiest job of all three, I think. <laughs> you know, I just had to catch it and shoot it. Well, catch it and shoot it. You did exactly right, and it was perfect, and it's become a memory etched into a lot of people's memories with March Madness. That kind of propelled you into being known more on a national level as opposed to just in the Midwest. You end up going on to have a six-year NBA career, um, but what most people don't understand and realize is just how difficult it is. Uh, And you're you're 6'2". You're a – big person per se but you're small by nba by you're small by nba standards how difficult of a grind is it for somebody like you to last six years in the nba yeah you know um you know and and again congrats on your career you know i, I still vividly remember i was in atlanta we we're gonna play the atlanta hawks and i had a usa today writer call me and said hey what do you think of uh gonzaga what do you think of dan dicka how's he gonna do in the ncaa tournament <laughs> And I still remember that it was the day we were playing the Atlanta Hawks, which ironically you played there too. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and obviously I'd seen you play and, and thought how good you would be, but uh, congrats on your pro career. You, know, you did a, did an incredible job. And, um, and I, I think the margin is just so small. What I found with myself, I had to work so hard um, to get there. I had to work so hard just to be able to, you know, compete in practice, compete in games. And, you know, if I had just a little bit of injury or if I wasn't, you know, just full on my game, like it seemed like that, that, that margin just widened so much for me to be able to keep up with, uh, with how good these players were. And, uh, you know, one game kind of goes back when, when you talk about sometimes how tough it was. We played the New York Knicks, and I remember they, they had like, I mean, they had like Allen Houston was playing like the, the one or two, and they were the smallest guy was like 6'6 six, six on the court. And I remember, like, the, the paint looked like just like a foreign continent. Like, I couldn't even get close to it because guys were so big. Um, but, uh, you know, I learned so much and uh, got, got to be around some great guys that, that really helped shape, you know, my coaching career. Um, Stacy Augman from, from UNLV was a great basketball mind who's still coaching. And, you know, just sitting on the bench, you know, having him just dissect the game out there, you know, really helped me, you know, from a defensive standpoint and from just a player aspect you know, how to look at the game differently. So as you begin to wrap up your career, you talked about sitting with Stacey Ogman and breaking down the game during practices and games. Did you know you wanted to get into coaching or did you kind of want to just kind of 
take a break from the game of basketball when you knew you were done? Yeah, you know, my, uh, it was my third year in the NBA. I was playing for the Bulls. And, um, you, know, you know, players like yourself, you know, Jamal Crawford was, was just coming in the league. And I was like, man, like, there's some really, really good players. Um, and, and I kind of the third year, I was like, you know, when I'm done, I want to coach. And so I, I tried to, I was focused on playing, but I thought like a coach during timeouts, you know, as, as our coaches were talking, I would think, what would, do I like this? What would I do? Um, just subbing during games, flow. And the great thing about the NBA is you get almost 100 games a season between preseason and playoffs and your 82 regular season games. So, I mean, you're, that's a lot of scouting reports. That's a lot of um, team meetings. You know, there's a lot of things that go into it that you can see. So, you know, learning those hundreds and hundreds of games that I was blessed to be able to play in and watch, again, I think really helped see some things uh, to help me coaching. Outside of your brother Homer and your, your brother Scott, who's a tremendous coach at Baylor, who would be your biggest coaching mentor, somebody that you lean on? You, you know, I've uh, been blessed to have a lot of people, you know, that, that I trust. You know, one is Richie McKay who's at Liberty right now, who is Tony Bennett's, you know, assistant at Virginia. And um, our relationship goes back. I was playing for um, Team USA World University games, and he was one of our assistant coaches. And I remember, um, you know, we would be working out at training camp, um, working out over in Italy, you know, where it was at. And, and uh, he and I would actually meet for Bible studies, you know, at the hotel. And so he's always been, you know, a, a mentor. He, he's been through, coached at a lot of places you know, had a lot of his success at different levels. And, um, you know, he's someone that, that, that I trust fully. And he's done an incredible job at Liberty. You know, something has looked at Grand Canyon. There's a lot of similarities, you know, with, with Liberty. And, um, you know, would love to do what he's done the last couple of years at Liberty. That's a, a name that I haven't heard in quite some time. But he was <laughs> one of the very first uh, college coaches when I was in high school that kind of pinpointed me as uh, having potential to play at the next level. Phenomenal guy, phenomenal coach. That's awesome to hear that you guys are so intertwined and, and, and connected to this day. So you know that you're going to get into coaching. You've got some mentors and in, in family members. You've got some other mentors, such as Richie McKay that you mentioned. But how do you find your own vision and your own voice as a coach? You know, I, my dad actually gave me great advice. So my dad won over 640 games. He's in the College Basketball Hall of Fame. And um, it was such a simple statement but yet I, I refer to it so much uh you know especially my first couple of years as coaching is he said you know be yourself and and there'll be a lot of times you know on the bench like like your first game you know you're, you're thinking do I when do I stand up when do I sit down you know when do I talk to the rest when do I not um just a lot of, a lot of different things um and I always go back hey just be myself what what comes natural to me like is this a time that I normally get up and say something and so that phrase I've used in my mind so many times my first couple of years, um, you know, just be yourself out there. And, um, and that's probably the advice I give, you know, whenever coaches ask me is, you know, let your personality, you know, whatever you normally do at practice, you know, how you talk, um, you know, j j just be who you are out there while you're coaching. So you were successful as five-year head coach at Valpo. You go to Vanderbilt for three years. Um, you have a little bit of struggles and a lot of it's, quite frankly, from, from an outsider's perspective, not being at practice and following mm -hmm. closely, a lot of it had to do with injuries. You, you had some of your best players um, go down to injuries and miss almost the entire season. What did you learn from the struggles at Vanderbilt that is going to allow you to be successful at Grand Canyon? 
Yeah, you, you know, it was um, first been a coach for eight years and six postseasons. Every school I've been at has gone to the NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, I, I think some of the biggest things is, is that you, the game has changed in college basketball. Like you have grad transfers now. You have, you know, 33% basically of, or 40% of players transferring. And how you're getting players now is just a lot different than how players were going to schools 10, 15 years ago. And, and so, you know, one thing is I think being in a situation where there's an administration that truly understands what you need to be successful. And, and that was something I found at GCU. They truly understood what we need to be successful. And then, you know, I, I think the next part is, is uh, you have to be older. Um, you know, we were extremely young. We were one of the youngest teams in the country. And, and we just struggled through playing some really, really good competition. And so, you know, the more experience we can have on our roster, either via transfers or grabbing a grad transfer here and there, I think it just helps the younger guys develop and gain more confidence than, you know, if they're out there maybe every day going against just better players at that time in their career. College basketball season is a grind. You've experienced as a player and a coach, uh, as well as a broadcaster a season ago, when you finally get a day away during the season, mm -hmm. which is some coaches don't, they're just the hundred percent grinders. If you get a little bit of a day away, what is Bryce Drew doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, hanging out with my son. So uh, he loves to go fishing. So we'll try to, you know, find a little place for, you know, it's usually an hour and a half or two hours he's ready to go. So it's not long. But uh, being able to, to, uh, to be with him and, uh, and probably go fishing. Awesome. Well, last question before, before I let you go. And it's a little bit of a loaded one uh, because I know you've got connections on both sides. So mm -hmm. last year, Baylor – and Gonzaga, in my opinion, <laughs> were probably the two favorites heading in, into the NCAA tournament, and they looked like they could lock horns in a Final Four or a title game. You've got connections to both programs now. With Baylor, obviously, your brother, Scott Drew, is a head coach. Uh, Roger Powell Jr., uh, who was with you at Valpo as well as Vanderbilt, is an yep. assistant coach at Gonzaga now. And then there's the cross connection for Gonzaga. Rem Bacamus was a walk-on at GU. He was a grad assistant at Baylor, and John Jacobs was an ops yep. guy at GU and is now an assistant at Baylor. Give me the scouting report for that game and how it would have gone down. <laughs> well, both teams, both teams would have known each other very, very well. <laughs> they may know each other better than, than, than what each one does. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it's been, um, you know, really fun, I think, you know, throughout the year. Um, for me, you know, I got to kind of step in – the shoes of a commentator for a year with ESPN. And it was just fabulous to see the game through a different lens. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I was cheering for Roger, um, you know, wanted them to, to, you know, be great. They, they were number one. Then my brother started to win. And then, you know, Roger and I would text, you know, back and forth who was going to be number one in the country. But, um, but what a shame because it, it might've been perhaps, you know, the best chance for both those teams, you know, to win a national championship. And now we'll never know. Um, because obviously, you know, the tournament was canceled. Um, I know they're both ranked top three preseason next year. Um, the question is, you know, can they duplicate what they were doing this year? Because it was pretty phenomenal. But Gonzaga has a lot of fans. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan with Roger being there. And, um, again, uh, Coach Lloyd, his son now is playing, you know, for me at GCU and Liam. And so there's a very strong connection there, kind of a three-way now with GCU, uh, you know, Gonzaga and Baylor. 
I know I said that was the last question, but where does Bryce Drew see himself in 10 years from now? Uh, you know, hopefully I'm still at GCU. You know, um, you know, as my wife and I were, were sitting back this year from coaching and really looking and evaluating some things that, that we wanted in a job, uh, you know, we were blown away when we got to campus and, and we got to talk to the president. Uh, Mueller got to hear his vision. He's a former college basketball coach. You know how good that is, Dan, that he understands the game and, and what, what uh, coaches go through. And the campus has, has grown from 1,000 students to 24,000 in 12 years. So the potential here is, is just tremendous. It's, a, it's an incredible place to live. Um, and for me, the faith aspect's very big. You know, I, I can be myself on campus. I can pray with my team. Um, you know, we can do Bible studies. We can help grow them in more ways than just basketball players. So, you know, I feel blessed to be here. And, you know, hopefully we're doing a podcast in 10 years. And, and I'm still wearing this shirt. And, and your hair is still look, looking as good as it does. And, uh, and we're still <laughs> smiling like we are now. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, Bryce, I really appreciate uh, the time. I, I know you've probably got a busy morning of, of Zoom meetings, as most coaches <laughs> do across the country. I wish you nothing but the best of luck at Grand Canyon, both on the court, off the court. I'm glad to hear that you've got a great fit for your faith, your family, and your future. And so for Dan Dickow and the ISO and the SB Live Sports Network, we really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks, Dan. Great talking to you. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network professional. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.